have to be very cautious. Uh, the, the, the stabilization in cases in, 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 in the last number of days uh, is very reassuring, as the DG has said. And it is, uh, to a great extent, the result of the huge public health operation uh, in China. Um, it is very hard, though, to predict. Indeed. Just hours after the World Health Organization announced a plateau in the number of Wuhan coronavirus cases, China revealed a massive one-day spike in deaths and, and corona cases. Thursday brought more than 15,000 new infections and 242 additional deaths. Welcome to Weekend Warriors, the foreign policy podcast that asks, what else is happening in the world? I'm Essie Cup. With these latest figures, the novel coronavirus death toll has passed 1,350 people globally. The global number of infected now at more than 60,000 in 27 countries. The vast majority are in mainland China. Here in the U.S., we have 15 confirmed cases, but the CDC this week said we must be prepared for it to, quote, gain a foothold in the U.S. Now, much of China remains closed to contain the spread of the virus. And one city of 7.5 million people in Hubei province has sealed off all residential complexes, has banned the use of motor vehicles. But, but still some 160 million Chinese citizens are expected to return to where they work in next week um, after an extended lunar, year, uh, lunar New Year holiday, meaning millions of citizens in close quarters and on public transit. Now, listen, I'm not here to talk about the science of this outbreak. This isn't that kind of show. I am not equipped to do so. Trust me. I want to talk about it from a global political perspective. And, and uh, that doesn't mean I'm going to politicize the crisis. But the politics in China and here will affect how it's contained, how many lives are saved. For instance, there are tensions between the U.S. and China on trade and figuring out whether those tensions will spill over into China's ability to coordinate efforts against coronavirus. That matters. And to that end, Larry Kudlow, an economic advisor to President Trump just today, said he was disappointed that China has rejected our offer to send our own CDC experts into China to help. Is that, you know, a result of those trade uh, tensions? Now, the Trump administration's systematic campaign to isolate America on the global stage, to neuter the State Department, and to discredit international organizations, well, that also matters. Because all that trust and political capital and institutional knowledge, it can't just magically reappear when you need it. So that's what I want to talk about with Gordon Chang. He's the author of The Coming Collapse of China. Welcome, Gordon. So you tell me, does the U.S.-China trade war that's ongoing, does that complicate the coronavirus response, either, you know, logistically or just when it comes to the distrust between Trump administration officials and Chinese officials? Yeah, I think that the dis distrust is going to grow. And the reason is that China has been hinting that it wants to have a sort of concessions from the U.S., on the deal that was signed on January 15th because of the coronavirus outbreak. 
At the beginning of this month, on the 5th, we had the Chinese Foreign Ministry hint that it was going to ask for flexibility. And we also saw this in a tweet from the editor of Global Times, which is controlled by People's Daily, the most authoritative paper in China. So clearly there's going to be some sort of discussions between the U.S. and China about this, and this is not going to help relations. So how is the Trump administration uh, positioned to coordinate with with allies and rivals on this, you know, after spending three years kind of isolating our country on the global stage? We know that China's rejected our um, our offer to have CDC experts come come over there. How how can we be effective? I think that we are seeing the Trump administration starting to reach out to other countries, especially in connection with the uh, introduction of Huawei equipment into 5G networks. Um, so there is uh, at least some movement in a better direction in, with regard to this. But, you know, you mentioned um, the CDC personnel uh, not going to China. This is agitating the Trump administration and certainly the CDC itself. Because there is concern that uh, there is an, uh, we're going to lack, lose the ability to trace the origins of this as China continually rebuffs us and also rebuffs the World Health Organization. Um, so this isn't helping matters either. Well, let's talk about who. Um, the World Health Organization lauded the, the, quote, huge public health operation in China. How much can we trust information, though, that's coming from the Chinese government being reported to who uh, about about the outbreak? I think we can trust China, China less and less. Got to remember that this virus spread throughout China because of the secrecy imposed by the Communist Party and by the suppression of whistleblowers. There was maybe a week of transparency in January, maybe a little bit less. Um, but then, um, beginning the end of January, Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, has imposed even more strict message control. And that's why the, what we know about the coronavirus these days is really not to be trusted. We, we just don't know what's going on. Um, we have some idea from anecdotal information, um, but it's really hard to coordinate all of this into an integrated picture. I mean, that sounds really dangerous, and it reminds me you know, of, of war zones in places like Syria, where, you know, Bashar al-Assad has denied um, humanitarian experts on the ground to report on exactly what's going on. That's a really dangerous situation, in particular for a public health crisis like, like coronavirus. Well, it certainly is, because the method of rule by the Communist Party is antithetical to what you need to control an epidemic. And actually, this has now even been made worse because Xi Jinping looks like he wants to get the Chinese economy jump-started. And that means people going back to work, people traveling. And that, of course, undercuts efforts to end the disease. So we have a number of dangerous tendencies right now that are going to make this epidemic much worse than it had to be. And, of course, this is not just a China issue because as Chinese leave their country, uh, they infect others elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, on a practical level, they infect others elsewhere. And then on an economic level, we know what happens when large groups of people um, leave. It's destabilizing. Um, but you mentioned Xi Jinping. You mentioned the economy. I want to talk about that because I think it's a huge factor. The Chinese economy has suffered from this. Manufacturing was essentially 
put on pause and and consumer demand is down. Companies, including Apple and Tesla, resumed manufacturing on Monday. I mean, you're an expert on on the coming collapse of China. Is this going to accelerate that collapse or do you think this is sort of a short term blip? Um, I actually think this is more serious than most people uh, think. Um, we know that oil demand in China is now down 20% year on year, which means that the economy is contracting. And there are other indications of that as well as events get canceled. And indeed, the Canton Fair, which is the major trade um, exposition for Chinese exporters, has now been canceled in its spring session, which was April, which means Chinese leaders think that the country is not going to recover until then. Um, So this is going to be absolutely fascinating as to how this is going to play out in terms of the economy. But, Essie, the one thing that we know is that Chinese people are angry, uh, and they're now starting to talk about demanding freedom of speech. Um, They've adopted uh, Do You Hear the People Sing, which is that politically impactful song from Les Miserables. That's now become the anthem of China. So um, we know that this whole question of the political system is up in the air, as well as the economy. And this is occurring simultaneously, of course. Well, yeah, and I want to talk about both those things. First, talk to me about maybe a popular uprising. Um, We all know what just happened in Hong Kong. What would this look like if people got really angry at the government's response to this public health crisis? Yeah, I think what could happen, and it won't happen for some time, because right now Xi Jinping is tightening controls across the country. But when the disease fades, as it will in the summer months, um, there will be recriminations. And so it'll not just be the Chinese people who are angry, but also Xi Jinping's adversaries at the top of the Communist Party. And this is a time where there'll be so many things in motion that we won't have any good visibility into it. But we do know what happens when people lose their fear of the regime. And that's already started to occur, especially with the death of the Wuhan doctor, who was the whistleblower, uh, Li Wenlong. Um, that is could very well be a seminal event in China's history. Well, so has has Xi Jinping been politically weakened by this? Talk to me about the current state of politics in China right now, how it's affecting Xi Jinping. That's a great question, and uh, you can make arguments either way. We know that Xi has been imposing stricter and stricter controls, uh, and not just on the Chinese people, but also on the party. But at the same time, uh, he is being blamed for the outbreak of uh, the coronavirus spreading so fast. And so I imagine you, you can't be in charge of a country where there's one debacle after another and not get hurt politically. So the common sense answer, Essie, is that he is hurt, um, but we can't see too much evidence of that, at least at this moment, day to day. So what what are the political ramifications then? What does that look like? You mentioned recriminations. What what form does that take? Um, Anything. It could take any form. Um, China's people are now talking about Chernobyl. Now, of course, they can't talk about it in the connection with coronavirus, but they talked about it in connection with the HBO television series because they thought that would be politically safe. Well, those postings, uh, those reviews of the HBO show have been deleted, but they're finding other ways to talk about coronavirus. 
Um, and when people have not only this distrust, but also they start to lose fear, because you've had some pretty outspoken comments across China, from the top of the political system down to um, common level, this is very dangerous for Xi Jinping. This is a moment where China is going to change one way or the other. We just don't know which way it's going to go. But anything can happen, SE, including a new political system next year or maybe four or five years down the road. Well, and just turning before we go to, to, to domestic politics, do you expect coronavirus to impact our elections this year in 2020? I don't think so. Um, and the reason is that the CDC has done an excellent job of containing um, people who have been infected. There are now, I think, 15 cases in the United States. But right. that's re remained relatively stable over the last week and a half, two weeks, which is an indication that although this virus is certainly going to spread in the U.S., it is going not to become a public health emergency, at least here. Um, there's a lot more that's got to be done because it is becoming a public health emergency in other parts of the world, and that will affect us. But I don't think that this is one of the issues at the top of the consciousness of the American people right now. Do you think it becomes an issue when we talk about trade with China? Well, trade with China will very much be an issue in play, I think, in the election, um, largely because um, this is so important to the U.S. on so many different levels. And what President Trump has done is he's really shifted the paradigm, um, changing decades of policy. People may like it. People may not like it. But it is consequential and it will be discussed, especially because many of the pre uh, people running for the Democratic nomination have on various occasions talked about it. Not often, but they've talked about it. Yeah, and I, I assume they'll, they'll be talking about it more as the months go on. Um, Gordon Chang, thanks so much for coming on to Weekend Warriors. And you can follow Gordon on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. Thanks for listening. I'm S.E. Cup. Join me next time. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.